Hey y'all, my name is Kim Williams. I'm one of the nursery volunteers here at Eastside Church. I just wanna say thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. If you would like to share your story with us, we would love to hear it. Please contact us at info at eastsidechurch.tv. If you would like to give, you can do that on our website at eastsidechurch.co. Click on our give tab. Thank you again for joining us and please prepare your hearts for this week's message. Everybody say humility. <laughs> Let's pray something together. Father, come on. Father, <laughs> I am most likely more prideful than I realize I am. And so help me see and help me change. I want to leave here more humble than I came. In Jesus' name. Amen. You good? Cool. Micah 6.8 says this. He's shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? By the way, everybody hit pause on my message. Can you do that? Can you hit pause? Hit pause. Pam Sullivan shared a word with me, and I would be wrong not to share it with you. And this is what she said. You're not forsaken. You've never been forsaken. You will never be forsaken because Jesus was the only man ever forsaken by the Father on the cross. So he was, so we never will be. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Lord, for sharing that. We receive that. So the Lord wants us to walk humbly with him. The Lord also wants us to walk humbly with each other. The first scripture I want to go to is this, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. We're going we're gonna to read that one. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So humility towards God and humility towards people, which at least as far as we can see here, looks like not being all wrapped up in you. And me. You with me so far? Okay, good. If we do this well, we've had so many words spoken over this church about the Lord pouring out his spirit and bringing revival and moving in signs and wonders and miracle and using us to be a gateway that brings change in this city. First question is, do we still believe it? Do we really believe it? Yes. So what I want to say about this, this message is that the Lord's given me is I think it's timely because a move of God doesn't come apart from humility. Okay? James 4, 6 says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Right? His grace is his mercy and his spirit moving in and through us that can accomplish more than we can on our own. Right? So you can just say grace is God coming. Everything that he is coming into our lives, into this room, into our families, our marriages, our workplaces, our city, all that we're doing, grace coming, and that doesn't happen apart from us getting good at learning to humble 
ourselves. The problem is, humility oftentimes doesn't have much place or impact in our lives because we really don't understand it. It's not that we're, it's not that we're ill-hearted. We just, we just really, it's just kind of one of those words, one of those Christianese. And so I might go, ah, describe humility to me or an act of humility, you know, and, and, and you might say, oh, it's that guy who, you know, is super talented or wins a sporting event or a game or whatever, and he actually doesn't rub it in your face. That's humility or a gal, you know, or, or maybe, you know, someone who walks into a room and doesn't, doesn't command the attention of, of everyone or maybe someone who's soft-spoken, you know, in their words like I can be sometimes, right? We might describe humility that way. All those things have very little to do with what humility actually is, okay? So as always, we start out with the definition. <clears throat> so for the noun humility, it's defined this way, a modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. Humility means the state of being humble. Both it and humble have their origin in the Latin word humilis, meaning low. Latin humilis, lowly, means insignificant or on the ground. Okay? So to be humble and to live a life of humility is to live life from a lowly place. Did you hear low in all three of the definitions? I hope you did. Yep. So you've heard of the word humiliated. And so how do you feel? We've all been humiliated at some point in time over something that was done or undone. Right? That's rooted in, in the word humility and humble. It is that low place. And the Lord calls us to live life there. Are you with me? So what I want to talk about this morning uh, is three ways that we can, we can actually make this tangible in our lives and measure humility and see how we're doing rather than just think we're humble vaguely but not really know what it means. We're, we're really much closer to hoping that we're humble than, than knowing that we're moving in a humble direction. So the first is this, embrace your need. Everybody say that with me. Embrace your need. Know that you're in need. I'll say it this way, you're needy. Who's insulted by that? Come on, y'all. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? That rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? It will every day of the week, twice on Sundays. When somebody looks at you and says, you're needy. You're in a place of need. You want to know why? Because we live in a culture that worships independence. That's why. They call being in need weak and wounded and lacking. Isn't that interesting? I'll let that, I'll let that sit for just a second. Romans 12.3 says this. For I say, through the grace given to me, this is Paul, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Don't think highly. Think, think, think lowly. And, and, and I think a large part of that right here is embracing the fact that we're really not independent at all. Quite the opposite. We are absolutely dependent. If we believe what the word of God says about you and I. So, so I'm not just calling you needy. Jesus is calling you needy. Look at John 15, 5. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, <laughs> this is how I read this verse a long time. 
oh, Lord, you kind of mean that, but you really don't mean that because there's millions of people out there, and they're not living for you, and they're never mindful of you, and they're never calling out to you, and they're able to do things all the time, every day. So what do you really mean? You must really mean that you can do nothing in the kingdom. You can do nothing with kingdom significance, you know? And it is good. I agree with you, but it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. When Jesus says you can do nothing without me, he means that. He, he actually means that. You know, as in, as in, as in Brandon, if, <laughs> speaking for Jesus to me, Brandon, if I stop sustaining you right now by my power, you're dead. You're in the floor. So I can quite literally not speak another word without him. Take another breath without him. Have another thought without him. And there's a world of people out there that think that they're doing all those things on their own, but they're not. Just because they don't give credit doesn't mean it's not true. And so when Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything, he means it quite literally, and then he also means it, you can do nothing of kingdom value apart from me. But we need to see both of those, because when we can embrace, I'm needy, we can begin to, to live humble lives. We can begin to, to live life from a lowly place. Here's the other thing where we often get tripped up, and that is we think that we've actually accomplished something in life. So think about your marriage, think about your kids, think about your home, think about your cars, think about your possessions, think about your career, think about all these things. And, and you like to take a little bit of ownership in those, don't you? If you're normal, you do, you know? <laughs> if you're actually wrapped up in this body, you like to go, ah, Lord, I thank you, but, but I've also worked hard here. And, uh, and, and it feels good. Especially we as men, we love the sense of accomplishment, right? But just like if John 15.5 is actually true, James first chapter is also very true. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? So there is nothing you have in your life that came by your hand. Nothing good. Nothing good. Because remember, you can't take your next breath apart from him. So did you work the job that brought in the money? Sure. But his sustaining power is what enabled you and I to go to work every day or take our kids to school, or, you know, serve and do laundry and do the dishes and, and all these things, and go to school and get an education. His sustaining power. Nothing means nothing. We're nothing without him. And that is a low posture. That is a low place to live from. Good news is, Jesus doesn't just say, we're needy. He said, he was needy. So one of my favorite verses is John 5, 19, and it says, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father do. In verse 30, he says, I don't do anything on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. I paraphrased, but I got it pretty well. Okay? So even Jesus was, was in a codependent relationship with the father. You guys hear that? That's a game changer, because he doesn't ask us to walk somewhere that he hasn't walked himself. He knows what it's like to be in need. He knows what it's like to have to pray. He knows what it's like to have to, to learn the word. He wasn't just born knowing the word of God. He learned it because he was in need. And he saw his need, and he responded to his need. And over and over and over and over again in, in the Gospels, we see his need for the Father, need for the Father, need for the Father, need for the Father. You know? And so the first place the Lord is calling us to is to kick a culture to the curb that worships independence. 
Independence will kill you. And me. Good? Good so far? <laughs> cool. Very good. Um, I'll say this, and then we'll move on to the second. God rarely responds to us outside of us seeing our need and voicing our need. Right? That's why times of worship, like what we just had with the, with the Lord, are so important. Because we, we position ourselves in an atmosphere where we can see our need and we can, we can see how huge and awesome and exalted and able he is. And then we can, we, can, we can use that perspective and we can use that perspective to cry out and ask God to move and actually express our need for him. And heaven comes rushing in. So everything in the kingdom works. You don't believe me? Who got saved in the room over the age of 25? Raise your hand. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. Okay. Do you think the Lord wanted to save you earlier? Yes? <laughs> me too. But he operates by invitation only. Because he's humble. Right? And so, so, so the process of you coming saved and coming to the Lord looked like he let you run your course and go your direction until you got to such a mess of a place that you said, dang, this isn't working. And you, and you got perspective of the love of God and the hope that was in him and that what he did at Calvary, he did for you. And you said, I believe and I need you. I can't do it on my own. I've tried it. It sucks. Come in. That's how you got saved. That's how I got saved. And everything in the kingdom operates that way what we tend to do is go is go salvation salvation operates that way but everything else in the kingdom operates differently thank you brandon appreciate you did you guys hear me it doesn't change it's all the same he wants to do something he brings us to a place where we can see the need we see the need and then we cry out and then he moves it's how it's always been. That's how it will always be, okay? So this, this seeing the need is crucial in a life of humility. I'll say this. Your pursuit for God to pour into you and his people to pour into you, it may be the greatest measure of humility in your life and in my life. Why? Because it really shouts whether you see your life full or needing to be filled, Right? you see yourself needing to be filled, then you, then you pursue, then you chase, then you go after. See, seeing the need manifest itself in action, and then the Lord responds. So that is the beginning. That is the beginning of humility. All right, turn in your Bible to Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Turn so you're not watching Brandon. I know, I know how distractible you are. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. We're going to read it again. We just read it. We're going to read it again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Everybody in the room say, not only my interest, but the interest of others. This is what humility looks like. Humility looks like servanthood. Now, the, the litmus test that we don't think this way is if you really think about your thought life, you really think about your prayer life, and you really think about your schedule, how much of it is about you personally 
or your family? A lot, right? Most, maybe all. And so, listen, the Lord calls you to family. The Lord calls you first to you, then he calls you to your family. But the Lord doesn't just call you those two places. The Lord calls you to the interest of others, right? And so, so, so for us to, to think that we've, we've come to this place of humility with God when we can't tangibly reach out and describe the service in our lives that goes beyond ourselves and goes beyond our family, we're deceived. We're deceived. You go, Brandon, that's strong. I know it is. Take it up with Jesus. Take it up with the word of God. Right? Because what humility looks like is, first of all, seeing how needy you are. Second of all, giving your life away to other people. Now, we have, I think oftentimes we have an unrealistic view of servanthood. We think it's something glorious. It's not. Right? It's just not. Think of, think of a servant in a, I don't know, a, a, a rich household, a, a king's court, or a plantation, or what have you. They get the worst jobs that nobody else wants. They are never recognized. They are treated like garbage. They are underpaid, if paid at all. Their reason for existence is to meet the wants needs, and demands of other people. Yay, God. Thank you for calling us to servanthood. Listen, y'all, I'm not making light of a serious subject. I'm saying to you that, that servanthood, servitude, it's not a fun place. It's not a rosy place. It's not a glorious place. And if we wait for it to look like those places, in our lives, we will never do it, and we will miss the Lord, right? Now, if we want to see, <laughs> I like this, I labeled this, this is cool, I labeled this the, the, man, I'm not to it yet. Let's go to John 13. I'll tell you what I labeled it in just a second. Go to John 13. John 13, 1 through 17 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to talk you through it uh, real quick and not in a lot of, of detail. Um, so Jesus takes the place of a servant. He girds himself with a towel. He, he puts water in the basin. He washes the disciples' feet um, before or after dinner. I can't remember. Um, inconsequential. And, and, you know, he has the, the little tiff with Peter where Peter says, no, Lord, not me. And, and Jesus says, hush, Peter. I'm doing it. <laughs> like he often did. And, and, then, and then he says, do you know what I've done for you? You're, you're not greater than, than I am. I'm your teacher. And so what I've done for you, you need to also do for each other. Now the question is, has the Lord called us to go around washing people's feet? It's such a terrifying thought, it just causes people to cry. You know, immediately. The Lord, it's not so much about the feet washing. And we get hung up there. And listen, there, are, there were things going on in the Spirit. And so I'm not taken away from that. There were very deep things going on when Jesus was doing that. But there is also a very practical side to this that we so often miss because we're too busy being spiritual. And that was this. They would have been accustomed to having their feet washed when they went into someone's house. There was a servant there, and that servant would have washed their feet. But this particular day in this particular house, guess what? No servant. So can't you, I'm embellishing a little bit, 
But can't you almost see the disciples sitting around saying, nose goes. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, you know. James, your feet stink worse today than they normally do. Come on, y'all. Can't you see it? There's a glaring need. There's an elephant in the room. Who's going to do it? And nobody will step up to the plate. You want to know why? It's gross. <laughs> and it's nasty. And it stinks. And it's not fun. And it's below them to do that. And so after how much time passed, I wonder, I'll ask the Lord one day, after how much time passed, and probably the Lord waiting for someone to step in, giving opportunity for someone to step in, Jesus goes and he gets the towel, and he, he gets the water, and he starts washing. So, so what did he do? Let's, let's, not, let's not be so spiritual that we're of no earthly good here. What, what did he do? He met a need that no one else was willing to meet. Right? There's servanthood. There it is. It's, it's, it's wrapped up right there. So what's our lesson? Again, not necessarily, not necessarily that I should go wash JP's feet. You know, although the Lord, although the Lord may ask me to do that. Right? But very much so that I need to have a position to serve him. You know? And, and when there's something to be done that both of us don't want to do, I need to jump in right there and serve because it's not beneath me, whatever it is, and it's not beneath you. This is what humility looks like. Now, now, what the Lord told me about this next piece is pretty cool. I, I labeled it the DNA of true service, okay? So take that down if you want to and you like my cool or cheesy titles, whatever you think them to be. Look at Matthew 20, 28. In Matthew 20, 28, I want to tell you three things about servanthood that I think oftentimes we don't realize. Matthew 20, 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Question for you. Jesus knew what he was called to do. He knew, he knew why he was on earth. He knew what his place of service was. In the garden, did he, did he want to do it? Father, if there's any other way, I am. I do not want to do this right here. That's what he said. That's what he said. So oftentimes with servanthood, y'all, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about, you know, serving your wife, men, because we're so entitled there. We're so entitled there. Serving your wife, doing the dishes, folding laundry, making the bed, actually picking up your clothes after yourself. Those are all my faults, by the way. Or... Working in the parking lot. Joel needs help out there. Or working in the nursery. Or in AK. Or up in sound. Nick probably needs help up there. It has nothing to do with you wanting to do it. You know? And we just wait on this place. We wait on this, this tiptoe through the tulips life. You know, just touch me with a magic wand, God, and, and give me the motivation to just go and want to do those things, and it just be amazing, and, and let me smile all the time, and, and just be so fulfilled by doing it. Is there fulfillment in it? Yes. Will the Lord move there? Yes. Will you be blessed? Yes. Will you want to do it all the time? Ah, that's right. <laughs> so, talking about humility. 
And what does it actually look like? It looks like serving. And what does serving actually look like? It looks like hard. It looks like a lack of motivation. It looks like a lack of appreciation. It looks like something that's not about you, which leads me to my second point, which is in John 6, 38, where Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You're not going to like the way this comes off, I'll tell you right now, but it's true. Jesus served someone else's vision his whole life. It wasn't his own. It was the Father's. He said it all the time. You know, and what we want to do in servanthood is, is we, 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 we really want it to be our vision from the start, if we're honest. But even if it's not, then we'll go, okay, I'll serve, I'll serve this. I'll serve, I'll serve under here. I'll, 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 I'll tolerate this leader's direction right here, even though I don't agree with it. And, and I'll serve. But God, you see me. You see me serving humbly. And so I'm waiting on my day when it's no longer his vision. It's mine. Broken. Broken. You have lost your blessing in servanthood, if that's what you're waiting on. And so have I. Because servanthood, one of, its, one of its reasons it's there is to humble us and keep us in that low place. Right? Of not only doing something when we don't want to do it, but also serving something that's not our own. Not our own vision. Because guess what? When it's your vision changes. It loses that element of you're serving someone else because you're not serving someone else at that point. You're serving something the Lord's given you, and there's a place for that, right? But there's also a place for serving something that has nothing to do with you. And guess what? It never will. Like, it takes so much pressure off. Ah, oh, Lord, this is, this is not what this is supposed to turn into be. You see what I'm saying? There's never a point in the future where this is, this is going to change and become about me. Ah, it's good. You can breathe there. You know, you can be free. You can be free right there. And you can be humble right here. And here's the third thing about what Jesus did in giving his life as a ransom for many. It wasn't for his benefit, y'all. It wasn't. He doesn't need us. He loves us. He chooses us. But he doesn't need us. It was for your benefit. It was for my benefit. So just remember that as you're, as you're serving in your households, as you're serving in this church, as you're serving in your workplaces. It's not, meant to, it's not meant to be about you wanting to do it. It's not meant to be your vision. And it's not meant to benefit you. It's meant to benefit someone else. Is that good? Does that help you guys? Oh, my goodness, it helps me. I hope it helps you. All right, here's the third thing I want to talk to you about. And that is... Pursuing the needy. This is, this is how humility makes its entrance into our lives, is pursuing the needy. This is what we see in the life of Jesus, is pursuing the needy. Romans 12, 16 says this. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. <clears throat> I don't know if you're going to like me in 10 minutes, y'all. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call some things out in us that they're not pretty. They're not pretty. But the Lord loves us, and he's enough for us, and he wants to move us forward. Okay? So our challenge with associating with the humble is, is this. They don't look like us. They don't look like us, y'all. 
Listen, I'll say this. Even the poor in this country, they're rich compared to the rest of the world. That is a true statement. Look it up, right? Look at the statistics. But, but the, the needy and, and those, those, the humble, associating with the humble, the low, they don't look like us. And, and I have a tendency and you have a tendency, and this is what it looks like. Our friends look like us. Think about your friends. Think about the circles that you run with. You know, close your eyes, see their faces. And what you realize is for the large majority of the time, they look just like you. You know? They're young, they're cool, they're hip, they're, they're pretty, they're, they're doing okay in life. They're wearing, they're, wearing, they're wearing decent clothes, they're driving decent cars, they, they, live, they live in nice homes. They look like you. They, they love God. You guys share, share similar beliefs, similar wants and desires in life, goals, dreams, visions. And, and so, again, when we can have sober judgment of ourselves and how we think and what our tendencies are, there's an opportunity to live life from a lowly place. And so just understand that your tendency and mine as well is to draw near to those who look just like you. You guys hear that? The second thing that's a struggle for us here is we go, we go, Lord, Lord, I know, I know that you've called me to the needy in some capacity. And so, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to find a way to, to minister. I'm going to talk to that, that, talk to my one homeless guy this year, right? So I can check a box. I just want to make sure that, like, help me, guard me, Jesus, be a shield about me. Because I just want to make sure that that needy person that you're calling me to minister to actually doesn't get roots in my life. Right? Like, like they can have the ministry phone number, but my cell phone number, that ain't happening. Listen, there's boundaries, y'all. There's boundaries. Okay? But, but we have a legitimate fear in our lives about really getting too deep in the lives of those who don't look like us and those who are in incredible need because we are afraid they will suck the life out of us. Anyone else in the room with me there? And so what do we do? We avoid. Or we go, Lord, give them to us in small doses. Small doses, brief moments, in, out, bring the kingdom of God. Goodbye. This is your tendency. This is my tendency. And it, it is not the kingdom. It is not how Jesus thinks. And so we have room to, to move forward here. Look at Luke 14, 7 through 14. I'm going to read it very quickly. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. Circle, sit down. Don't drive by, don't shake hands, don't kiss babies right there. Sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, and then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Stop. Stop reading. <laughs> if we're honest. I'll stop speaking for you guys. If I'm honest. I am. I am. I am good with a position of humility. 
as long as it has the promise of exaltation. It's hard, isn't it? Right? And here's the thing. The Lord promises it. And so I'm not saying something contrary to the word of God. I'm saying watch what you're motivated by. Right? If the only reason you're serving in this lowly place right here or reaching out to this lowly person right here is so you can be exalted, you have your reward. I have my reward. There's nothing in the kingdom because we got it all on earth. So, so, so when we can posture ourselves and say, Lord, I know your promises, and I thank you for your promises, and your promises are wonderful, but they're not going to be my focus. My focus is going to be the need right here. My focus is going to be the person right here. My focus is going to be looking like you while I'm doing this task right here. And, and what you pour out, you pour out. But my motivation, it's going to be pure. Hear the difference? Okay. Good. Good. Then he really messes us up in the second part of the story. Then he also said to him, who invited him? This is a guy who was hosting the feast, hosting the dinner. He said to him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors. You might want to circle that. Highlight it. Double star it. Underline it. Trace the words. Make it bold. In your Bible. Because the reason the Lord said this is because this is exactly our tendency. I'm talking about the people that you have over to your house for dinner, y'all. Not your friends. Not your, not your rich neighbors. Not your relatives. Not your brothers. Not if you want to be humble and follow Christ. Lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Golly. Help us, Jesus. Invite the poor to your house. The maimed to my house. The lame to your house. And the blind to my house. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. And so, so the Lord calls us to the needy, and this is what the needy looks like. It looks like those people that our culture and oftentimes our church overlooks. Those people. That's who Jesus was describing. And he wants us to go after them. And so we go, okay, Lord, so you, you want me to not just do ministry with the humble. You want me to, to befriend the humble. And so, so what does that look like? Well, what that looks like is let's look at Jesus' friends. And, and as we do this, we're going to do it quickly, but I want you to close your eyes. Because the Lord gave me something to write, and I think it, it creates a picture, and so I want to paint a picture. All right, whose eyes are still open? Who's cheating? Stop cheating. The Lord sees it. Close your eyes. The first group of friends that Jesus had was the disciples. Jesus spent his time with humble men, those who saw their condition, their need for God, their inability to do it on their own. When witnessing the catch of fish, Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And when asked, and, and with that, ask if the disciples too would leave Jesus, Peter replied, 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. They were men that pursued God, left family, left their friends, and left their careers to follow Christ. They were men willing to look foolishly and to embrace a mission not about themselves. And for that, he called them servants. They were men also given access to the secrets of his heart. And for that, he called them friends. Jesus was a friend to those that had sincere hearts for God. And he calls you and me to be the same. Open your eyes. I am not preaching a message that says that we don't need to be friends in this room. We need each other. The Lord calls us to each other. Right? The Lord calls us to have friendships that can invest in us and sharpen us and speak to us and, and pray in heaven over us and pour out the kingdom of God over us. He called Jesus to those relationships. He calls us to those relationships. Right? What I'm saying is, don't stop there. That's only half the battle. That's only half the story. And so, so we do all right here most of the time. It's the second group of friends that Jesus had that we struggle with. Close your eyes again. This group of friends we'll call the unwanted. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, and there was no denying it. That's who we spent his time with. Those society had cast off, those the church had cast off, he spent his time with people that looked nothing like him, those known as the bothers in society. He embraced the children. He stopped for the beggars. He dined with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. He drew near to the poor, the sick, and those possessed by demons. He shattered racial walls, and he gave women a place of honor. He saw the overlooked, spoke to those he should not have, Listen to those others silenced and touch those no one else would. Because he was humble, he sought friendship with those humbled, those brought low in life by the enemy, by hardship, or by the cruelty of the human heart. He simply made a habit, no, a lifestyle, of moving toward the people that almost everyone else moved away from. Jesus was a friend to the neglected, rejected, and downtrodden. And he calls you and me to be the same. Open your eyes. I don't know that the Lord calls us all to go into the highways and the byways and, and find the poorest of the poor to do life with them. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. You know, but what I am saying is this. In your family, there's someone that feels unwanted. In this church, there are people that feel like they don't belong. Right? They're cast off. They're rejected. They're neglected. They're, they're not cool. At least they don't feel it. In your workplace... There are those same people, right? And Jesus made a habit of going after those people. The funny thing about us is we want to be friends with people that don't have any interest in being our friends. And the people that are more than willing to be our friends, we have no interest in. God, help us. Help us. Help us, help us have your heart. You know why Jesus has so many friends? Because he went after all the people that nobody else wanted. It's easy. It's easy to make friends when you do that. 
(laughs) And this is what humility looks like. It's not one or the other, family. It's both. It's both. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be saying, Brandon, I am that person. I am that person. I am the outcast. I am the unwanted. I am the one who doesn't fit in. I guarantee you there's someone around you in your circle that has been just as neglected, if not more, just as abused, if not more, just as rejected, if not more, and feels like more of an outcast than you do. So we're all here being healed together, but you can, you can choose a victim mentality or you can choose to go after a person who's even lower than you are. Is that fair? Is that fair? Stand, I want to pray for you. <laughs> we need prayer, don't we? <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to help us. Father, I ask you to, God, help me. Help me. Help us see our need for you. Help us believe you when you say, without you, we're nothing. Because we can be humble there. God, help us quit talking about serving and reasons that we can't serve and serve. (laughs) Because we're humble there. And Father, perhaps most of all, help us not be addicted to people that look just like us. Because you were not Lord Jesus. And you've called us to have people that look like us. And you've called us to to make friendships with disciples and other believers. And God, you have called us to those who look different in every way possible. They're a different color. They speak differently. They think differently. They drive different cars. They live in different houses. They're not healthy like we're healthy. The way they think, God, it doesn't seem complete like the way that we're think, God. We don't have the same education. We don't have the same money. We don't have the same bank account. Our kids don't go to the same schools. God, give us a heart for different. Please, God, give us a heart for different. Give us a heart for your different. Father, we're so scared. We're so scared of different. What if I don't know what to say? What if I don't know what to do? What if we have no common ground? Who cares? What if I can't meet their need and I feel guilty about how much provision's in my life? Who cares? You're enough. You're enough to make it beautiful if we'll just go there. And so, Father, help us. Help us be a friend to those in great need like you are, Jesus. Help us be humble, God. And help us go after those people that everyone else is not interested in going after. Bless my family. Help us to represent you well. As we, as we leave from this place, God, continue to teach us and give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, y'all. Listen, thank you for your patience today. There's going to be people up here. I want to encourage you. This is a message about humility. I want to encourage you. If the Lord spoke to you about your own need, serving the needs of others, or embracing the needy, please come get prayer. Please come get prayer. You good? Good. Bless you.